John chapter 4, verses 1 uh, through, probably get to verse 26 this morning. That's our spiritual food for the day. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them, and, uh, or your device, your phone, whatever, and go to John chapter 4. And as you're going there, I just want to talk about this uh, f- fact, and, and the fact is this, that Jesus does things differently. Uh, all throughout the pages of the New Testament, uh, Jesus is showing up and having conversations with people, and he's really blowing them up, blowing up their worldview. He's changing everything that they thought about God and the world. He's, um, he's shaking their paradigm as to what's important and, and what's not important. Jesus does things differently. And I, I don't know about you as a Christian. I'm talking to you Christians now. If, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you realize that you, a part of your life as a Christian is spent um, defending God or defending Jesus, or, or correcting misconceptions that people have about God. And you say, well, how can I do that? I'm just a person. I'm not God. Well, hopefully we, we study God's Word and we base uh, what we think of God and what we believe about Jesus, we base it off the study of His Word. And, and so many times as you get in discussion with people who are non-believers or agnostic, uh, they have some misconceptions, and very deep and, and sometimes very misguided conceptions about who Jesus was and is. And you find yourself in this constant uh, struggle to kind of um, correct wrong views that people have. Because Jesus does things differently. He does. He does things differently than what people see in the movies. He does things differently than what people see even in other Christians' lives. And so you've got to be on constant guard to help correct wrong understandings that people have. So let me start up this morning, and this will lead us into the talk that Jesus has with the woman at the well, well uh, of three common misconceptions people have about Jesus, okay? Because Jesus does do things differently. Here's the first one. First misconception about Jesus is that Jesus is waiting to punish you. That Jesus, God, is uh, in the sky somewhere. We don't know where exactly, but he's up there. And he's waiting for you to get out of line. He's waiting for you to sin. He's waiting for you to fall. He's waiting for you to falter. And at just the right time, he's got a lightning bolt to you. And it's going to crash into you. And it might be in the form of cancer. It might be in the form of a divorce. It might be in the form of loss of job. But that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. He's, he's the one up there. He's waiting for you to do wrong so he can, uh, he, he can smite you in some way. In John, the Gospel of John, which we're going to be in this morning, uh, a verse that probably almost all of you know, John 3.16 is how many people know that verse? Uh, the verse right after is one that we also should memorize, and, and it's, it's this, that for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Amen? That's, a good, that's good news. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. And I got a lot of things that God could condemn in me. But Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He's, he's not the God in the sky waiting to hurl the lightning bolt at you. And some of you have that conception about God even this morning. Second misconception about God I want to talk about briefly. It's, it's the other side of this view of God. It's that God, that Jesus, He came ultimately to give you a great life. He came to bless you. He came to bless your socks off. He came to give you prosperity. 
And in this type of view of Jesus, Jesus is, is sort of the genie in the sky. And if you say the right things or do the right things, if you rub the lamp the right way, He's going to give you back the things that you desire and the things that you ask for. He's, he's kind of like the, the heavenly vending machine. And the currency that you use in this vending machine is, is uh, what you do and how you act and what you say. And if you build up enough of that currency, you've got enough to put it in that vending machine and out comes a great life from God. Jesus is there uh, to bless me. Now, both of these conceptions, they're the, just the opposite side of the same coin, but both of these misconceptions do have some elements of truth in it. Like lots of lies, there's, there's some truth in that. Jesus does come to bless us in many ways. Jesus also comes, and He also comes to judge us in, in other ways as well. But, but this is a, a broad misconception that many people have, that Jesus comes and He just wants to bless me. To bless me. How about this third misconception? It's this, that Jesus wouldn't offend me. And Jesus doesn't offend me, He wouldn't offend me. And uh, he offended everybody else. And the words of Jesus challenge everybody else, but I'm okay with Jesus, and Jesus is okay with me in my life. Now, here's the problem with it. Jesus offended everybody in his life, with his life and his death. And actually, the reason why he died, from our perspective, the reason why he died was because he offended the wrong people. He He offended the fundamentalists of the day. And they were mad at Jesus. And they didn't like Him all that much. And so Jesus offends everybody, and Jesus will offend you as well. Jesus offends you if you're a sinner. And uh, I think we're all sinners. Jesus will offend you because of your sin. He's going to come in there, as He does today in our story with the woman at the well, and He talks about eternal life, but then He gets right to the heart of the matter, and He's going to get to the sore spot in your life the sin that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, Jesus is going to get right in there, and that's going to be offensive to you. By the way, that's why we try to do things with excellence. Even on a Sunday morning, we try to have good worship music. We try to have a, a welcoming environment. We, we, we want to have things that are comfortable. We want to have fun together. We want to laugh. We want to have some giveaways sometimes. We want to do all those things because we know when we get to this part, the preaching of God's Word, Jesus is going to show up, and He's going to be uncomfortable with us. Because he deals with us in, in ways that can sometimes hurt. Because it's never fun to be wrong. How many people want to be wrong this morning? You just want to get hammered with that. Nobody wants to. Um, but, but Jesus does that to us. He's not just a, a genie in the sky that we can get comfortable with. Jesus will offend us and he will offend us because we're sinners. He's also, he'll offend us. If, don't worry, if you're not a sinner, if you're self-righteous, Jesus is going to offend you as well. Some of you wouldn't like Jesus because his first miracle, he turned water into wine, he drank, and he was called a glutton, and he hung out with the sinners and the the worst that the society had to offer. Some of you couldn't believe that about Jesus. How could he do that? Jesus will offend you and your self-righteousness as well. Jesus offends everybody. So there's some misconceptions about Jesus, and I, I bring this up because... This is just kind of a a way to say, um, as we come to John chapter 4, John has been dealing with this idea of who Jesus is. Starting at chapter 1, he he starts to say that uh, Jesus is God, but that he steps into the world and he becomes flesh. 
John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The old King James Version says that He came and He tabernacled among us. He built his tent with us. None of us live in tents uh, here, uh, or not many of us anyway. And, and uh, he come and he built his house on our block. That's what it means. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and he lives right on our same block. And he's right with us in the day-to-day life. We think of Jesus is out there somewhere and he's doing his thing cosmically somewhere. And Jesus is just like you and he's just like me. Even today in the story, the woman at the well, he comes to the well and he's tired because he's been walking all day and he needs a drink of water because he's just like you and he's just like me. Now there's a caveat. He didn't sin like you and he didn't sin like me. But he is, Jesus will say in the Gospel of John, As the God-man, he is the bread of life. It's the seven I am statements that happen in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can see the seven I am statements. Jesus is defining who he is in the Gospel of John. And John, the disciple that Jesus was really close to, the disciple that Jesus loved, the Scripture says, he tells us all about Jesus in his Gospel this way. And so we come to John chapter 4 now with a little bit of a background, and we can go through the story. So I'm going to read the whole story, okay? It takes discipline to, to listen to 26 verses, okay? So hang in there. But we're going to read, and I'm, I'm going to make a couple little comments, and then we're going to go hit the main points and then pray and go to lunch, okay? John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, um, in the, the Greek that this is written in, that phrase is literally, now he had to be going through uh, Samaria, or he was having to go through Samaria. Now, now the problem with that statement there is that there's other ways to go to Samaria. He didn't have to go directionally that way uh, through Samaria. He was down in Judea, down in the south, and he's going to get, uh, to Galilee in the north, and Samaria was in the middle. He could have gone around, but the text tells us here, and we'll hear about it more later. He had to go through Samaria. Verse five. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, there he is, he's weary, from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour, the times uh, in the New Testament, as they talk about what time it is, they start the time from sunrise, or generally um, Sunrise is 6 a.m. That's what they consider. So if it's the first hour, it would be 7 a.m. If it's the second hour, it would be 8 a.m. Here it's the sixth hour, and so that's what time? Noon. Good with math. Good. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans, John puts in parentheses, just to update somebody who's not from the area or who's not Jewish, who doesn't know the situation. The situation is the Jews don't get along with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him, he will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming back here to draw water. And he told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, am he. So let me just give you three um, things about Jesus, and then three things about the woman as we consider this conversation that they have next to the well in Sychar. First is this. Jesus is purposeful. Jesus is purposeful. As we already noted, he had to go through Samaria. Now, he could have gone another way. Many Jews went another way. They didn't go through Samaria because uh, a lot of them would have got robbed when they went through Samaria. Why would they get robbed when they get Samaria? Because Jews don't get along with Samaritans. Well, why don't Jews get along with Samaritans? Well, because Samaritans were the people that came out of uh, the captivity of Jerusalem, the fall of Israel in 587 B.C. And here's what I mean by it. The Syrians came in, they swept in, they conquered Israel, and what they did in nation building and taking over a people is that they would kill everybody except a few of the people. They would cart off the best and the brightest to go to Babylon and, and be trained as Babylonians. And then they would bring other peoples from other places in the world in and deposit them into the land that they had just conquered, therefore wiping out the memory of the people that used to live there. And so this is what happened, and, and the Assyrians brought in these pagan people, and they came in, and they, they uh, intermingled, and they did what people do, and they got together with some of the remnant that was left in Samaria, and these people were born, the Samaritan people. They're still around today, very small number. And the Samaritan people were different from the Jewish people. They were different religiously. 
They believed in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They had their own temple. The, actually, their temple was, uh, and the place to worship was on Mount Gerizim. And in the year 109 B.C., the Jews actually uh, destroyed their temple out of uh, disgust with the Samaritans and disgust that they're their neighbors. And so uh, there was some tension between uh, these people. I don't even know how to really explain it in our day and age what, what uh, people would be. But um, there, were, there were racial divisions there. There were uh, um, religious divisions there. It was some deep-seated hatred between these two peoples that the, um, the, the worst kinds of people were Samaritans. Now you begin to think about the other times that Jesus talks about Samaritans. The Good Samaritan. See these stories? Samaritans were hated people. But Jesus had to go there. He had to go because he had a divine appointment with this woman. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says, Hey, the night's coming, but while it's still day, work for God. Do what God has called you to do because in the end, when night comes, there's not going to be a chance to work. But now there is. So give it all you've got to do what God wants you to do. And this is what's happening with Jesus. He had to go. Led by the Holy Spirit, he had to go to the place where lots of Jews didn't want to go. And he went through Samaria on his way to Galilee. Jesus is on purpose. He's living his life on purpose. Secondly, Jesus is relational. Relational. He comes and he sees this woman, verse 7, and he asks her, will you give me a drink? Now, there are three taboos that Jesus has but has broken here, but because he's relational, he does it. The first taboo is, is the Samaritan one. We've already talked about it. So it's, a, it's an ethnic uh, taboo. He's not supposed to talk to these non-Jewish people, these half a breed uh, Hebrew people that were left over from the captivity who intermingled with pagan people and now that they're Samaritans, he was supposed to stay away from them uh, ethnically. One taboo. Second taboo is religiously. These people didn't serve uh, God in the same way that the Jews did, and the Jews despised them for it. But the third taboo, can anybody guess what was the third taboo in the first century that Jesus broke when he asked this woman for a drink? Will you give me a drink? What was it? Yes, she's a woman. She's a woman. And he's not, you don't talk to a woman alone out at this well. But Jesus, because he's relational, asks her for a drink. In Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in to him. I will sup with him and he with me. I'll have dinner with him. I'll have a relationship with him. I'll be together. Jesus is relational as God is relational. Jesus says, will you uh, give me a drink? Now, um, this lady, this woman, she says, verse 9, all the things she calls to attention, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And so Jesus goes and he says, if you knew what was before you, if you knew what I was offering you, if you knew exactly who it is that you're talking to, you'd ask me for living water. And this is the third thing. Jesus is superior. Superior. The woman says, um, 
you don't even have anything to draw well water with. On the, Jacob's well, um, now there's a church that's built on that site, but Jacob's well was about 100 feet deep, and so you obviously needed something uh, to get your water out. And, um, and Jesus, he's, he's there, and he's not drinking, but he's asking her for a drink. And he says to her, but I got some different type of water. People who drink from this well will get thirsty again, but if you drink from the water that I give... Up from you will spring waters of eternal life. And um, he claims to have water that is better than the water drawn from Jacob's well. Now, this is a big deal. Jacob's well was well known throughout uh, the scriptures. And so if you know, know your Old Testament, you've read about Jacob's well before. It was there, right in the vicinity, that Jacob's well where Abraham first sacrificed to God. It was there that uh, Abraham's servants uh, found a wife for his son, Isaac. Do you remember that? Rebekah was found there. Jacob's wife. His wife, Rachel, was found there at the well. Moses found his wife, uh, Zipporah, around this well. There's a lot of um, uh, connections here happening at the well. Um, this is an important place. And, and Jesus says that his water is better than this water. His water is eternal life. Eternal life. Now, this is amazing. Now, <clears throat> just to illustrate this, I uh, didn't drink any water the whole morning, okay? Just so I could have this illustration. Uh, it might not even work. But anyway, I got a glass of ice water and uh, some water here. <clears throat> And I have a scratchy throat, too, and I, I, I just I couldn't barely talk this morning, and I didn't drink any water. Some Jack Daniels, but not any water. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So I didn't drink any water, though, so I, I wanted to see what this uh, would be like. So, <clears throat> Oh, that's good. That is good. Now, <clears throat> that water, the water from Jacob's well, is good. But what it just did to me physically, and you just saw it, that's what Jesus does to your soul. His water comes and nourishes your soul so that you're good with God, you're good with life, you're good for eternity, you're forgiven for your, from your sin, you have no, no thing in your life, nothing at all, that would hinder you from living the best possible life. That's eternal life through God, through Jesus Christ. That's the water. So here's what Jesus says in John. I am the bread of life. I am the Lamb of God. So he, 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 he consistently he says that there's, there's, life, uh, then there's life that is more than just the physical. And here he says it's with the water. It's, it's not just the water. Um, it's not just the water. Nicodemus, who Jesus met uh, just in chapter 3, which uh, Kevin O'Brien spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, he said to, to Nicodemus that it's about life, but it's not just about physical life. It's about being born again spiritually. So there's all these things that Jesus is talking about that he deepens in life. It's not just the physical. It's not just the bread that you eat. Jesus is the bread of life. It's, it's not just the, um, the lamb that you sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. It's not just the water in this well. Jesus is the water of life. 
And guess what? When she hears that, when she, uh, when the, when, when she hears about this water, look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's ready for the water. Okay? She saw me drink, and maybe you saw me drink water, and you're really thirsty. And you're like, give me some of that water. This is like the woman. She, she's ready for it. So if you think about it, if you think about Jesus talking about eternal life, and you think about pastors and preachers talking about uh, living water, this woman is ready, right? Play just as I am. Have the altar call. Bring her on up here. Have her sign the, the conversion table. Give her a new Bible. She, she, wants, to, she wants it. Jesus, just, just give it to her. And what does he do? Jesus says, verse 16, Go and call your husband and come back. Wow. Things get awkward quickly here, don't they? Uh, go call your husband and, and then come back and we'll give you the water. It's awkward because she says, I have no husband. We'll get there in a second. She deflects it. And, and we, we see this situation, and we'll talk about it in a minute. And, and so things change. As Jesus speaks to her, he, he refuses to allow her some easy believism that can get this water and to have all the benefits of the water without doing the hard work of dealing with who Jesus was. Okay, I think that's the same for us today. Jesus refuses this easy believism. He wants to speak to you in the place that might hurt the most. And so what happens? Here's the woman and three things from the woman. The woman, first, she deflects. She deflects. She says, uh, verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus says, go call your husband. Oh, I have no husband. There's a deflection. She's telling the truth. I have no husband. Maybe, maybe Jesus will stop asking about that. Right? She doesn't want to deal with the fact that she doesn't have a husband because she knows that's going to open the door to the whole conversation that she doesn't want to have. She wants to keep it hidden. That's, by the way, why she's there at the sixth hour. Most people, most women, come to get their water before it gets hot during the day. Most women come and get their water for the day at the beginning of the day. This woman's out there at noon when everybody's at lunch getting her water because she doesn't want to see anybody else. Because could it be that everybody knows that she's living with some guy and it's not one of her five previous husbands? We don't know the story, but she's trying to deflect it. She doesn't want to deal with that. Now, we don't know what happened with, the, with this woman. We don't know what happened with her husband. She could have married all five of them, and they could have just all died of natural causes, right? I heard one guy say that would explain why the sixth guy didn't want to get married, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you had five husbands. They all croaked. I think I'll just stay, uh, stay unmarried with you, okay? Let's keep doing this thing. We don't know what it is. She could have been committing adultery. She, they could have, uh, she could have broke up. with. The, we don't know what the situation is, but we do know this. She was at the well at noon. When everybody else got there at 6 a.m. for their water for the day. And she deflects. She's like, I don't have a husband. And, and Jesus says, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right you don't. And the one that you're with is not your husband. You've had five. Here's an application, and we'll start to try to apply some of this as we head toward the finish line. It's this. We try so hard to hide our sin from others, including God. But that's where Jesus wants to work. 
in that place. That's where we need the streams of living water. That's where we need the, the oh, that's good, is in the place of sin, in the place of pain. But we have this misconception that if somebody finds out about this thing I got here, they won't like me. They won't honor me. I won't be deserving of any good thing if they would know that thing. We even keep it locked up and hidden away from God as if God doesn't know it already. But we don't confess it. We don't deal with it. I'll deal with it my own way. I'll keep it under wraps. I'll keep it in its place. I'll let it survive, but it's got to stay in the background, in the shadows, and you never deal with the thing that Jesus wants to wash away with the streams of living water. And so you keep it hidden. One of the things that I've uh, said to my kids, and as they're growing up, I want to say to them all the time is, just don't lie. Don't lie to your mom and I. Don't lie to us. We'll deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. Don't hide it. Don't hide anything. Bring it to the light. When you hide that, that's where the devil has power over you. And you think you're keeping it away from mom and dad because we're not going to love you anymore or we're going to punish you or, or what. No, forget about it. Bring it in the light. Tell somebody because it's in the light that the devil doesn't have any power. Don't fight in the darkness. He's pretty good in the dark. He's really good in the dark. But John says elsewhere that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So bring it in the light. Yeah, it's going to hurt. And yeah, you screwed up. And, and yeah, you will screw up again. But guess what? I have two and your mom has two. And we will uh, some more down the road. But don't hide it. And don't feel like you got this thing that we can't know about and that nobody can know about because that's where... That painful place is where the devil reigns. And Jesus has come. He's come to step into that and to free you with the streams of eternal life. So the woman, the woman uh, deflects and, and then she distracts. So Jesus like, can you imagine that? You're talking to Jesus and, and, uh, and he just says, you've had 500. I mean, he just knows her. Knows her. And, uh, and she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Uh, really? Yes. And then what does she do? Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now the woman distracts, as if she can distract Jesus. She attempts to. She doesn't want to deal with her sin, and she tries to distract with theology. A doctrinal question for Jesus, the rabbi. Jesus, tell us about where to worship. We say, the Samaritans say, here, Mark, Mount Gerizim, you say, Jerusalem, tell me what it is. This is a big, big deal in, the, in that day. Big topic of debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. And this woman brings it up. And now Jesus is going to answer it, so let's just have Jesus answer it because he, he doesn't just brush her question aside, but let's get the bigger point after it. But he's going to answer it. He, he does. He says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
Then he says, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But there's coming a day where it's not going to be on Mount Gerizim, and it's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to be a day when everybody worships God, whoever worships God, worships in spirit and in truth. That means worship God because he is spirit and in their own spirit, but worship him in truth, what Jesus would say later on in John chapter 14, I am the truth. So there's coming a day, and the day is here, and the day is now, that we worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is not found in a temple. He's not found in a mountain. He's found right here among us. Through the power of the Spirit, we invite Jesus to come, and He comes, and He he lives within us, and He lives His life through us. And Paul would say, it's no longer I that live, but Jesus Christ that now lives in me. And so there's the answer. And that does come from the Jews. And and, and Jesus told her the truth. It comes from the Jews, but there's coming a day that it's not going to matter where. It matters in spirit and in truth. And I am truth. So she tries to distract. He answers her question, but how about this application point? Many people want to discuss other things except the things that are really important when it comes to Christianity and when it comes to Christ. And if I can get down some other uh, rabbit trails... And then I don't have to deal with the fact that Jesus died for the thing that I'm hiding back here. And so let's talk about creation. Did it happen in six days or did it happen in six ages? And what about the dinosaurs? And how about politics? And you see what Donald Trump said, and he claims to be a Christian. And you do all, and, and we get caught up in all of this stuff, and we hold on to the crap that's back here that Jesus wants to bring out and wash away with the streams of living water. And I pray that Jesus would do that with me and with you. And I prayed for us that we would would give him all of ourselves that he might come in and that streams of eternal life would well up within us. And so Jesus is not distracted. He answers her question. But then the last thing, The woman distrusts. She doesn't trust him. She says in verse 25, see, she hasn't realized it. She realized he was a prophet. She already said that. Um, But she says, verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's almost like she, okay, that sounds good. And you're kind of speaking like somebody that was going to come, the Messiah. When he comes, he'll straighten it all out. She distrusts. But then Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Literally, he says, uh, not I am he. In the, action, in the language, what he says is, I am. So one day the Christ is going to come. One day the Messiah will come. Jesus says, I am. I'm him. Now this is amazing we go on with the story, and I just fast forward really quick what happens uh, to her. She's, the disciples come back. They're surprised that Jesus is talking to this woman. This woman runs back into town. Remember, she's scared of the people. She's been scared of the people the whole, whole time. She's there at noon getting water, and she starts telling them, Hey, come see this man. Come see this prophet who, who told me everything that I ever did. And she goes, and and over the next couple of days, Jesus stays there, and and people come to trust in him. People come to Christ. We read about these Christians later on in the book of Acts who turn to Jesus here when the woman at the well becomes a great evangelist for Jesus Christ. Come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus, the one who knew everything about me. 
So she's converted, she's saved. But here, here's what I want to tell you, and I want you to think about this morning. Because sometimes we have this misconception about Jesus, that we've got to get ourselves clean, we've got to get ourselves fixed before Jesus will accept us. Right? And before God will accept us. And before God will forgive us, we at least got to show some good faith and we at least got to pull ourselves up from the bootstraps and, and try harder on that junk that we got hidden back here for, then, for, for Him to really uh, accept us. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus gave His living water to this woman who was still living with this guy, right? She came to the well and she had this past and she had the thing that was hidden and she had the thing that hurt and Jesus spoke eternal life to her and she was converted and she was saved. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the Pharisee that knew everything about the Old Testament and knew everything about who the Messiah was supposed to be, he wasn't converted right there, not that we can see, maybe toward the end of his life, but this woman, this woman with her sixth guy, she's converted. And she goes and tells the town people to come and worship Jesus. Jesus will accept you too. No matter what you got in the closet. But here's the thing. It won't be too long until Jesus says to you, go get your husband. And I don't know what it is. I don't know who your husband is. You, you get me? He says, go get your lust. And maybe for you, the lust is porn. Maybe it's romance novels. Maybe it's fantasizing on Facebook over somebody else's house. Whatever that is, he's going to say, go get your lust. Maybe he's going to say, go get your pride. Go bring that pride, the self-love, the thing that you have about yourself and who you are, bring that. Go get your lies. Go get your addiction. Go get that Jack Daniels. Bring it back to the, to the well. Jesus is filled with grace to accept you just the way you are. But He's filled with love too. And love that won't leave you the way that you are. So give Him that junk right now. Confess it to him as sin and ask him for the streams of living water. That's what it means, the e eternal life. It's the living water. It's life anew. It's eternal life that's bubbling inside of you and outside of you, changing everything about you. Christ wants all of you. Christ comes into your life not through the good things that you do, he actually comes into your life through the sin and through the wounds and through the darkness to deliver you to the kingdom of light. Invite Him. Be honest with Him today. He'll meet you right where you're at. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank You for this time. And God, I, I pray um, for Your Spirit to move within us. We know that we can't come to You unless Your Spirit draws us. And so I ask, Lord, by Your grace and mercy, You would draw us 
to yourself right now. That you would draw us to confession of sin. That you would draw us to the cross. That we would come to you and believe, but not just easy believism, but that you would deal with us with our sin. And whatever that thing is that you go tell us to go get and bring back, Lord, we confess it to you right now. Lord, we confess it to you. Break it, we pray. We, even if we have to pray day in and day out, we're going to plead for you, Lord Jesus, to forgive us and to heal us and to free us from sin so that these waters of eternal life would bubble up within us. Help us to be your people, God, who may maybe not just broadcast everything. I'm not saying that. Here's all my sin. But that we would be an honest people. That within our circles, we'd be free to share all the things that would hinder us. And that we would confess openly and honestly and right away the things that would seek to bind us and harm us. So Lord, thank you. Thanks for your word. Thanks for this conversation. And thank you that you have it with us. And not just that woman, not just that Samaritan woman, you have it with us. So we come to you this morning. We worship you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.